know. <laughs> we'll begin in a different prayer than the one Hunter interrupted. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this opportunity to get together and study your word. I pray that your spirit would be present and to guide us into your truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And also we pray that Hunter would keep quiet. And com- yeah, I know. Until, until the wind blows. There he is. He's already, he's already jacked up. No more. Yes, today we're going to deal with original sin, which is something that every Christian has to deal with, and you have to think about, it, and you have to sort through because it's it's a tough deal. It's a tough it's a tough thing to understand, especially from a human perspective, especially from a human perspective for people who live in America, who think democracy, make your own choice, and everything else is how it all works. So, what's the definition? Original sin, it's just, it basically is meaning that, and we'll read this here in a second, and we're on Romans 5.12 to begin with. It means that when Adam sinned, okay, Satan came into and tempted Eve, okay, and we, I don't know if you remember, we kind of went back to this, and Eve ate the fruit, ate from the tree first, but that's not when the fall happened. She then handed some to Adam, and then he ate, and then the human race fell into sin. And so, because God told him, when you eat of, the, if you eat of this tree, then you shall surely die. And that's when his guilt, he was guilty because he disobeyed the one command. You have to notice that. Adam had one command. And when he disobeyed it, his nature changed from a, he was sinless. Adam was created sinless, but with the potential to sin. Okay. And of course he sinned. And then everybody born even Cain and Abel, their very first kids, children, were born in sin. Their nature was sinful. So we have inherited, because of his one act, we have inherited the nature, the sin nature from Adam because he fell, his nature changed when he sinned. But not only that, as we will see when we get to here in a second, the guilt for that sin has been transferred to us as well. We are guilty for that sin that Adam committed. That's tough, isn't it? You kind of think about that. It almost seems unfair. Well, we weren't there and everything else. And we'll deal with all that specifically. But the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that we are held accountable for the sin that Adam did. So that's, you just kind of, that is what original sin. That means we're born with a nature that is sinful because of the decision Adam made. And he was our federal head. And we were in Adam. We were actually in his posterity because he's the first human being everything else has come from him went up until Noah and then he wiped the human race is wiped out but still Noah and his family survived and so we went through him and then all the way through so we all can trace our origin back to Adam and Eve every last person who's ever lived and that's why we're all born with a sinful nature and you know we're born with a sinful nature because the wages of sin is death is the one thing that I always show as proof that people are born in sin before they willfully sin. And we'll deal with that too. We all willfully sin too. But we are born with a sinful nature because babies die. Because babies couldn't die because they can't willfully sin until they become a certain condition to where they can be held accountable for what they do. But they still die because they're born in a sinful nature. So I mean, it's just irrefutable that so that's what original sin means, and we'll deal with it as we go along here. All right, so Romans 5, 12. And so you can see this, the context here that Paul is trying to make is... It's kind of weird how this is. is that original sin is mostly taught here. There's other places, and we'll go there. But it's taught here in the context of... The point is not really to teach original sin, it, more as it is to teach that how if you're in Christ... You're, you're saved. And so, just like you're in Adam, just like in Adam, we all fell in his one decision. But also, the point he's trying to make is that in Christ, we are all saved through his act, through his obedience. Instead of, like, in, in Adam's disobedience, we fell. But in Christ's obedience, any, but it doesn't mean everybody, it means whoever is in Christ, whoever is saved, you are saved based on the action of another person. And so that's how the comparison is made. So you'll see that as we go here. So verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. 
Okay, that one man obviously is Adam. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay, so right there, initially, right off the bat, Scripture clearly teaches that through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin. Nobody died before Adam. That's why I always say to people who think that you can have compatibility with evolution and biblical Christianity, is the reason you can't is because the Bible teaches that death did not occur until after Adam sinned. No animal, no bug, no fish, nothing that was created died until after Adam fell. And then death came into the world. Okay, and evolution teaches that, that mankind is the end chain of a process of death, of survival of the fittest, death. It's basically a process of death that, that things mutated upward through death to human beings. So you can see how that's in, biblically incompatible. You can't believe evolution and the Bible. You have to choose one. Because the Bible teaches that, that man, man already existed before the first death of anything happened. So that's just a little side. So you see there immediately, and at the end of verse 12 where it says, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For the longest time when I read that, I considered that to be that, yes, I believe the Bible teaches that we are held accountable, or that, we, that death, that's, death entered the world through the sin of Adam. But also I thought at the end of that verse it said, and also because all sinned. And so I thought that was saying that, yeah, we inherit the, 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 the sinful nature through Adam and his one decision, but also this is teaching here in a certain way that we all are kind of held accountable to because all sinned. Okay, and we'll deal with that here in a little bit. You see what I'm saying there? Or it's more of a, well, yeah, we're, we, we do have the sinful nature, the Bible teaches that, but we also sin also. We do. But I don't think that's what it's saying here. I think this is what I was convinced of this when I was reading, listening to Martin Lloyd-Jones in one of his sermons on this. This is saying that we all sinned in Adam. That is to say, even though we weren't there, we weren't created, that sin that Adam, that Adam committed, we are held guilty for. And I think that's what that's saying. But, like I said, and I've heard MacArthur say this, is that we are sinners by birth, what we're talking about here, and by choice. So, we are, again, there's, there's no way around it. We're held accountable for the action that somebody else did. We're held guilty for it, even though we weren't there. Seems unfair. But we also willfully, it's not unfair, I want to say that up front, I, because God has decreed it, it's enough for me. It's hard to understand sometimes. But we also willfully sin. That is to say, and I'll just go ahead and deal with this right up front. Here's what I'll say when I... When I the best way that I know how to justify my own heart, my own mind, that original sin, even though, like I said, we're, we're being held accountable for something somebody else did. This is the best I have to, to comfort myself on a human level to help me explain it. Or we know we, when we did the attributes of God, we know God is perfectly holy, perfectly omniscient. He knows everything. He's perfectly trustworthy. And so we know God can make, he can do no wrong. He can do nothing that's unjust. Toward, he, 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 he provides justice, and, but he also provides mercy. But he, does, he can do no wrong. Okay. And so, okay, how do I want to say this? So you, you want to think to yourself, okay, well, what if I were there? Would I have made the same decision? My answer would be Yes if I were there and given the same opportunity in the same sinless condition that Adam was in, would I have made the same decision? My answer is yes. And my answer is, would you have made the same decision? My answer would be yes. My answer, and so, if anybody ever created since Adam would have been in the same situation, sinless perfection, but with the opportunity to choose to sin or not to sin, we all would have done the same thing. And why do I say that? And here, this is where this is my speculation, my theory, but I think it's, I think it's sanctified the speculation. That if there were somebody born after Adam who, if he would have been put in that situation, would have not sinned, then God would be unjust in, in counting the guilt of Adam's sin to everybody after him. Does that make sense? 
Okay, so if, if there would have been somebody, say Joe, born in 1901, would have been the one person who, if he had been put in that garden and put in the same situation, tempted by Satan in every, all the same exact environment that Adam went in, but he would have not have sinned, then God would be unjust in accounting Adam's sin to that person. You see what I'm saying? So that's the best I have when it comes to saying, okay, because your mind immediately says, what? Why am I be held? Why am I being held guilty for something I wasn't even born yet? And that's a, I think it's a legitimate question, and that's the best answer I have. Is that if you'd have been there, you'd have done the same thing. Otherwise, God could not have done it. So you just have to trust God on that point. There's a sentence here in, in MacArthur's that doesn't make sense. The very last one on the explanations. Therefore, humans are not sinners because they sin. But rather they sin because they are sinners. That's correct. What? The reason you sin is because you have a sin nature that you're born with. That's what we're dealing with here. You've inherited a sin nature. Sin. Sin yeah, the reason you sin is because you you have a sin nature that you've been born with. Okay. Yeah, what he's saying is a lot of people say, well, you, you, the reason you're, 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 you're uh, what do you read it again? Because I don't have a note. Therefore, humans are not sinners because they sin, but rather they sin because they are sinners. Right, he's saying that you don't, you're not described as a sinner because you sin, but the reason that you sin is because you already are. The sinner part comes first. Okay, that means you're born in sin, that's why you sin. Instead of saying, well, you become a sinner when you sin of your own choice. Okay. Again, we'll deal with that a little bit. And I do believe that, you, as he said, that you're a sinner by birth and by choice. But we're dealing with the birth part right now. We're dealing with the fact that you're born with a sin nature. Based upon guilt that is accounted to you that you had nothing, you weren't, you weren't the one who did it. It's, but it's been imputed to you. And there's no doubt about that. Um... Let's see here. I'm going to go to Psalm 51.5. It's just one verse. It's just more. It's just clear that this, this is the case. And again, this is when you, you come to tough things in the Bible. And that's why I told you that dealing with this is not, especially to the human mind, especially to the American mind, is not easy. And this is David in Psalm 51.5. Um, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother conceived me. So even before he was born, he's talking about in conception, in the womb. In, you're, you are conceived in sin. You're, you have a sinful nature in the womb. And that's why every last person that comes out of the womb ends up being a wretched, fallen sinner because they're born in that condition. Why do you think? Why do you, why what? Why do you think God did that? I don't know. I mean, I can't... Speak. There's my first question for there you go. It's, I mean, I can't say I can't say why he didn't do, why he didn't do it in a point where why didn't he have it to where everybody was born neutral and sinless and then it's their own choice. Right. I can't say. This is I I don't have an answer as to why. But here's what I'll say is I know the God who runs things and if it would have been this is the best way this is the this is the right way. Because he did it, you understand. I, we define, from a Christian biblical perspective, he is the one who defines what is right and what is just and what is. And the fact that he did it is all we need to know. He, we, righteousness is defined by what he approves. So, but yeah, I mean, from from our perspective and human level, and like I said, that kind of goes to what I was talking about. Where if we had been there, we'd have done the same thing. And so that's why I think. He can hold us accountable for that. Because if we wouldn't have done the same thing, if Jay Krutner would have been put in the same situation and I would have chosen righteousness and never disobeyed and the human race wouldn't have fallen, then that would have been unjust for him to impute Adam's guilt to me. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that's why I just trust the God that I know and knows I know that he can't do anything wrong. And he's chosen to do it this way. Now, particularly why, I, I, there's, I don't know. He, but that's, I don't need to know. There's a lot of things that, that you can't explain. yeah, we can't. But you just the more you know, you don't challenge him. You tr you tr trust him. But it's like yeah, this is a difficult thing, and that's why I don't criticize the, our minds for thinking. Yeah, why why did it have to happen this way? Well, 
he is the one who gets to decide those things. And federal headship is is something that is pretty rampant, or pretty a doctrine, or something that's taught throughout the Bible. There's a lot of federal heads, just like we're going to get to here in a little bit. The reason we're saved is because of the action of another, Christ. And so it's mercy. And so we all understand this. Like I said, if we'd have been in the garden, we'd have fallen too. We'd have sinned too. And salvation is still merciful, whether we're born in sin or whether we would have had to have accrued. Because if we, okay, let's say hypothetically, everybody's born neutral and then God would have just waited to impute sin when they did sin. Guess what? Every last one of them would have sinned. That's my opinion on that. But we, we're just sticking with what the Bible teaches. And we tr I try not to go... I know I'm doing some speculation here, but I'm trying not to... I'm trying to make it sanctified speculation based upon... You see what I'm saying? Is that if, if there would have been a person who would have not have fallen, then God would not have been just in imputing that to everybody. So I think it pretty much shows that if anybody else would have placed, been placed in the same environment with a sinless body like Adam had... And you got to think about it. How many rules did he have? It's not like he had Ten Commandments to obey. He had one. Yeah. And I don't even, I'm one who doesn't even believe there's anything special about that tree. I think it's just, he said, he gets the one who makes the rules. And he said, this is the one tree you can't have. That was it. There's nothing special about it. He just said, you're going, this is my creation. I make the rules. I'm the one who, who rules. You can have anything and everything. It was perfect creation. No sweat, no toil. Everything was perfect. No shame, no guilt, no pain, no suffering, no death. All you have to do to keep that is just stay away from this one tree. Because I say so. That's why. And guess what? The first opportunity they got, they did what they did. It just goes to show you, human, you know, human beings, even in a sinless fallen state, I'm sorry, a sinless unfallen state, before they sinned, they were sinless. They still made the decision. And it didn't take long. It took one conversation with Satan, and it was over. For both of them. So. Alright, verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. That'll blow your head open, won't it? <laughs> I know, just re it took me probably 40 times just to even get a grasp on what that's trying to say. But what I think I've figured out a little bit at least what it's trying to say. So, in, so until the law, what we're talking about there is Moses. Until the law came through Moses, okay, so the Ten Commandments primarily were what we're dealing with there, but also there was a whole bunch of other Levitical and Deuteronomical laws that were given to Moses. But a lot of people were, if you go back in biblical history, a lot of people lived from Adam till Moses. So there were a lot of people lived before the Ten Commandments were given. Okay? And so what that's saying is, they're not, they weren't held accountable to that law because it hadn't been given yet. But, nevertheless, it says, death reigned from Adam till Moses. So before the law came, people were dying, and everybody was dying, from Adam until Moses. And, it's, and it goes on to say that even though those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, okay, so what that's saying is people after Adam were dying before Moses, before they had the Ten Commandments, and even though they weren't, they didn't, they weren't in the uh, garden, okay, I'm going to put on my note here. They weren't, in, they weren't there in the garden, but they were credited that sin. So you see there that it's showing that they died, okay? Death reigned from Adam until Moses, even though they hadn't received the law yet through Moses, the, the Ten Commandments. Or even though they weren't there in the garden with Adam. So I think that's showing, and that's, that's more um, emphasis here on that they were credited the guilt of Adam. And they were dying because of what Adam did, even though they weren't there. So you see what I'm saying? I think this is showing that, this proving that the guilt of Adam's sin is credited to everyone after him, even before, even to those who hadn't received the Ten Commandments, and also that they, even though they weren't there in the garden and didn't make that decision, actually, 
again, theoretically, I think they would have, every last one of them would have anyway, otherwise that would have been an unjust imputation. So all men were regarded as sinners because there was no explicit list of commands. There was no strict accounting of their specific points of violation. Yeah, talking about the law of Moses there. Okay, so before these people who lived, okay, here's Moses here. Here's Adam here. So Adam fell. There's a lot of people between Adam and Moses before the law was given, the Ten Commandments. These people are not going to be held accountable to that standard of the Ten Commandments because it hadn't been given yet. But they still are condemnable, and they were dying, and a lot of them probably in sin, and, it going, and they are judged according to their sin, even though they weren't back here in the garden either. So you see, it's showing that they're first. They're they're saying first off, they're not going to be held accountable to that standard. And the Bible teaches clearly that that anybody outside of Christ will be condemned to hell. But that the the level of condemnation is going to be based upon the level of information they had and their level of rebellion towards that information. So while a person, say a person is born in Africa in the wilderness, you know, the theoretical you always hear and they never hear the gospel, well, their conscience and creation, we've been through general revelation, is enough to condemn them and make them inexcusable. Same thing with these people. From Adam until Moses, these people had the conscience. They had creation. They had their conscience, and so they could have sought God if they wanted to, but of course they didn't. They suppressed that. So that's why they're held accountable. But they're not going to be held accountable to the degree of people who, like the Pharisees, for example. Jesus looked right at them and said, your condemnation is going to be more severe. Why? Because they had higher knowledge. They probably had the Bible memorized. So the more information you have, the more condemnable you're going to be. That's why you know a lot of people think these immoral... Yeah, whatever, whoever you want to think of, Jeffrey Dahmer, these serial killers, I'm sure their condemnation is going to be horrible. I'm not saying it's not. But I th I tend to think people like religious people are going to be in a hotter hell than even those people because they had more knowledge of the scriptures and they suppressed it. And especially somebody like a Muhammad or like a uh, Joseph Smith who started Mormonism. I mean... Think about the de devastation they've caused by starting a false religion. They're going to be held accountable for all of it. Every last bit of it. That's why, even though this, anybody who dies, they're in, they're in kind of a waiting chamber. Of, they don't have their bodies yet. But the final judgment is not until the very end. Why? Because I think all the damage that they're doing is still being done, even though they're dead. Like how many people join the Mormon? They're trapped in a false religion based upon Joseph Smith and his delusions. He's going to be held accountable for what's going on today. Somebody gets converted to Mormonism today. Joseph Smith's going to be held accountable for that. That's why he's just piling up. Even though he's gone, so his sin consequences are still piling up. So I, you know, those are the people I would not. Want. I'd rather be Jeffrey Dahmer than Joseph Smith. I'd rather be just about anybody than Joseph Smith or Muhammad or a Buddha or somebody who starts a false religion. Just with those would be the people I wouldn't want to be. Well, I chased the rabbit there. But getting back here, as you see, it's showing that even though they weren't in the garden and the law hadn't been given, they were still dying. They were held accountable. They were credited the fall based upon what Adam did. And it's just, it's tough, but it just teaches it. All right, verse 15. But the who free. Is, who is a type of him who was to come? Where's that at? That's what 14 indicates. Okay, Christ. Yeah. Okay, that's what we're getting to now. But what? Well, we'll deal with that here in a little bit. Okay. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one man the many died, okay, and the many means all, everybody, because of the transgression of Adam, everybody fell into sin. Much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. So you see, now here's the comparison. This is kind of what the whole argument we're talking about here, where we're learning about original sin. But the context is, he's trying to say, hey, just as everybody fell in Adam, everybody who's in Christ receives the gift of grace by his, by his action.
And so you see the comparison is the, is the transition from talking about Adam to Christ. And so, verse 16, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. And uh, we're dealing with some tough scriptures here. And it's, I mean, I've read through this and studied this, and I still get, every time I read it, I go, wow, it's just kind of overwhelming. All right, so he's talking about how through one sin of Adam, we talked about this, everybody fell. That one decision. We were held accountable. The guilt that we held that the sin nature is passed on is just for the one sin. We're not held, Adam continued to sin after he fell, probably really badly. Obviously, first thing he did was he blamed God for the sin. Remember when he covered him and he said, God said, where are you? He's like, well... Hey, the problem isn't with me. The problem is with the woman you gave me. And so he blamed Eve. And then, but he, really, he was blaming God. He said, it was the woman you gave me. And so you see, Adam continued to sin. But we're not held, we're, our guilt is not from all the rest of the sins that Adam did. We're held guilty from the one transgression that he did, the, the eating of the, the disobedience, of the eating of the fruit of the tree that he was not supposed to. And so that's what you see in verse... Um, where are those here? Well, it's the transgression as in singular. So we're held, I just want to make the point is that we're held guilty for his eating of the fruit. But that's just, we're held guilty. We're, that's what causes the change in the nature. But the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression. Okay, that's the, what we just talked about. The, the, the one disobedience threw us all into sin, resulting into condemnation for everybody. But on the other hand, the free gift from arose from the many transgressions, resulting in justification. And so the best I have there, and this is it's just tough to deal with, I think, um, is that grace... First off, we're dealing with justice when we deal with original sin. So we always have to re remember that God can justly condemn every last human being that's ever lived. Even though he chose to do the guilt through what we've been talking about, through the being credited the one transgression, changing the nature, resulting in the fallen human race. But as we've talked about, if we were there, we'd have done the same thing. And so God could have condemned the entire human race. We have to always understand that justly, or he couldn't do it. I mean, God can't do anything that's, that's unjust. And so the grace, when you're saved, Christ died for all of your sins. And so through the one sin, we fell. But through, so you know, this is why I want to turn our attention to Christ and his work on the cross, where we talked about this many times, and I think it's important that when he was hanging on the cross and the, and the three hours of darkness came on, I believe that's when God's, the Father's wrath was pouring on him and in a specific, particular way. That is to say, Janet Krutner's, all of your past and present and future sins, every last one of them, the smallest to the greatest, he was treated as if he had committed each and every one of those particular acts of sin that you have done and will do before you die. So that's a lot of sin. It's a lot of sin. Same thing with me. I probably have many more. I would say. I, I mean, I'm not trying to puff you up or bring me. Down. I'm just saying. I'd, I can't imagine how many sins he had to pay. So you see, the point though is that, that that grace covers all of our sins, even though we are the, the crediting was through one sin, but he died for each and every particular act of sin that we have done. So that's how I would handle that. Again, I, you know, I can't be dogmatic on all this because it's just some of this is just very, very difficult to me. But does that make sense? Mm -hmm. that last or there. Christ, however, delivers the elect from the condemnation, condemnations of many offenses, justification. Yeah, I would agree with that. Is that we did? We we fell through one sin. And this is, I guess, we'll go ahead and deal with where I do believe we're sinners by, by birth. We, I mean, we can't, biblically, we can't debate that. It just teaches it. 
But I also believe we're sinners by choice as well. We some people sin more than other people. There's you know, Hitler decided to uh, try and exterminate the human race. I mean, I mean, there's people who do. I believe there are degrees of sin, and so there are you do choose what you sin. But but every person just basically chooses from their nature, and they're going to choose sin. It's just the degree and the choice that they make. But we're held accountable for that. Just because we're born in sin doesn't mean, well, okay, I'm born in sin. I'll just be as bad as I possibly can be. It's, you're going to be held. We're held accountable for each and every. And people who are condemned, we're talking here about people who are saved. The people who are condemned will be held accountable for every single act of sin that they've committed. And the more, the worse their judgment's going to be. And so you see how we are, we are born in sin, and we're definitely sinners by birth, but we're also sinners by choice. And like I said, I just keep going back to this because I just think it's so true that if we'd have been in the garden, we'd have done the same thing. So that's why it's it's just that we're held accountable. We're held accountable. Don't get him riled up, hon. We're trying to do something here. Well, I know, but you're trying to stir him up. No, I'm not. She was trying to see. So we see that. If God condemns everybody for the one act, it has to be just. Because God can't do anything that's unjust. So, but you see that, that salvation is covered. When Christ died for sinners, he died for every single specific sin of those who would put their trust in him. And the ones who don't put their trust in him, they'll face judgment for every single particular sin they commit. Every, the Bible even says every idle word. Just a little idle word. Somebody sits around and says, oh my G-O-D. They're going to pay, or they're going to be, they're going to be held accountable for that. That's how specific the judgment's going to be. All right. Verse 17, For if, the, if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And so again, Just as we all died in Adam, we will all eventually one day. I think there's a partial. Obviously, we're, you're made alive. You're you're born again. You're spiritually alive, and you're able to to do things now. When we receive the Spirit, we're able to obey better and understand the Bible and all these things that happen now. But eventually, down the road, that's the, what I think this rain is talking about. We're going to be living in pain, pain-free, sinless glorified bodies and I think that's the much more also you just have to always understand that salvation is a gracious act of God so however he decided to work it out in his sovereign perfect decree whether we understand it perfectly or not we have to understand first off that we should all be condemned period because even after the fall even though everybody's born in sin remember we went back in Romans 1 that he gives everybody a conscience it tells them that they're a sinner. Okay, so they are born in sin, but he gives a conscience saying, you're a sinner, you need salvation. And the creation holds people accountable. And that's enough that everybody should praise God, even though they were born in the nature. You see, back in Romans 1, it doesn't say, well, since you're born in sin, well, you can't know that there's a God, and you can't know by the creation conscience. No, it teaches the opposite. That everybody, even though they're born in sin, they know they're a sinner, because God gives them a conscience, which should turn them to God for mercy and everybody knows by looking around that God, there is a creator God and we should give him thanks but what do we all do we suppress the truth and unrighteousness and so that doesn't, he doesn't give us off the hook saying well because you're born in sin doesn't mean you're not going to be held accountable for suppressing the truth of your sinfulness we are and that's what we all do and that's what God has to overcome when he saves somebody all right so then, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Again, right there. There's no doubt about original sin. It just says it. As through one transgression, there resulted in condemnation. Not just the sin nature change, but condemnation to all men. Even so, you see the comparison is always Adam, everybody fell, in Christ, people will be saved. Even so, through, at, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. Now you have to be careful here. 
Because a lot of people will take that verse and say, oh, well, hey, so through the one transgression of Adam, it resulted in condemnation to all men, which is true. Even so, the one act of righteousness resulted in justification of life to all men. So it almost makes it sound like universal salvation, just like universal condemnation. And the Bible teaches purely and or, uh, repeatedly that salvation is not, everybody's not going to be saved. Matter of fact, Jesus says, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it. Narrow is the way that leads to life, and few find it. So the Bible teaches that most people will not be saved in Christ. So what it's talking about is, is that those who are in Adam, which is everybody, that's every last human being, are condemned. And those who are in Christ, that means believers. It's not every human being, obviously, but those are every believer will be saved. So you have to be careful of that because people will use that to say, oh, look, it says everybody's going to be saved. Yeah. But you have to, you know, we don't isolate Scripture. We, we, you have to interpret the Scripture and the entire Bible by the entire Bible. And the entire Bible is very clear that not everybody is saved. All right, verse 19, For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, and the many there means everybody, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So again, it's another comparison of everybody who's in Adam. Everybody, by his disobedience, was condemned. And just so everybody who's in Adam, which who, who is in Adam? How many people are in Adam? Oh, everyone, very good. How many people are in Christ? Everyone. No, not everyone. Well, I mean, every, yeah, everybody who believes. But it's not universal. You said with Adam, everybody's in Adam by the nature. But everybody's in Christ who is people who truly have been regenerated and believe and trust the Lord for, trust in Christ alone for their salvation. So you see the, the terminology there. And so you have to be careful there because, you know, when you read it straight up, you think, oh, yeah, I just kind of say, hey. Everybody's condemned through Adam, and everybody's going to be saved through Christ. But you you can't isolate just one or two scriptures. You 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 uh, interpret it throughout the rest of Scripture as well. And obviously, when Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, "Unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sin," He's not teaching universal salvation, you know, so or anywhere else. Um, all right. Well, nope, I had another note there. Okay, yeah, in Adam and Christ, okay. All right. All right, what do I have there? All right. Um, also, I want to jump back to verse 15. I forgot one note I wanted to do. Um, where it talked about where, the, but this is verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, how much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. One note I wanted to make there, we talked about this before, is that, so I think it's also part of that is saying that salvation is not just a restart, okay? And so when you're saved by, when you come to faith in Christ, you don't go back to where Adam was before he sinned, okay? You do, but you actually go back to where Adam would have been had he never sinned his whole life. And so you see where, Salvation is not just forgiveness of all your sins. It's also you are, you are imputed his perfect life as well. So we don't go back to where Adam was before he sinned. We go back to Adam as if he would have lived his whole life without sinning. And so I think you can see that there is grace is much more. And so you see the comparison over and over and over here is the point Paul's trying to make is is whatever it is that you think, or whatever, however it is that we understand original sin, which is clearly taught. Verse 18 couldn't be more clear. That the grace of God is so much more than the, than the original sin that is imputed all the way through. And so you see the emphasis here is on the grace of God. And we talked about it so many, many times, and it's always worth reminding, is again, if God would have not saved anybody, and credit to, if God would have credited Adam's sin to everybody and never saved anybody, he would not have been unjust. 
he would have been he would have condemned everybody. Again, just by the conscience and creation, everybody would have known and everybody would have suppressed and nobody would have come to Christ. And so grace is always I don't have I think we have any idea how gracious God is. I don't think we have any idea. Even though our mind can react to something like this and say, Wow, that doesn't seem right that we're hey, I wasn't there in the garden. And why am I imputed as guilt? You just have to take a step back and realize that grace abounds. Yeah, he is a little. Yeah, grace. If you've already had pizza, you can wait. Well, you can have a snack later, but you can't be hungry if you had a pizza. And we're not done here. We're getting close though. So you see. You see the theme here, though, is that while we're dealing with original sin, and it's a tough thing, the, the, the whole context of the paragraph is how gracious God is. Like, how much more is the grace of God through Christ compared to falling in Adam? The grace? No, we've, we've said it no, already. You can take it out if it's empty. You know, you don't put it back in if it's empty. Yeah, throw in the trash, Grace. Good job. There's some chips. Can you have some chips? Okay. Okay. Does baking count chips? Yes. Yes! No, I mean no. Okay, you said yes. Okay. I meant no. No, barbecue. No, Grace. No. Okay. Just a few. Just no. You don't need bacon, hon. We're not trying to glutton ourselves here. Alright. Alright, so where were we? We're on 20. Alright, so the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Alright, so now we're talking about the Mosaic Law again. Okay, so the law came in so that sin would increase. What do you think that's trying to say? So when the law came in... Remember when we talked in Galatians what the purpose of the law was? Or actually, no, it was in Romans 3. That the purpose of the law was not to save people, but is to what? Condemn. That's right, it's to show them that they are a sinner. So the law's purpose is to say, here's the standard, and show you that you you have fallen short. The law was never meant to say, alright, well here's here's the commandments of God. If you just keep if you keep these perfectly, well actually, I mean if you did keep them perfectly, but it's but the intention was you'd have not kept them perfectly. And so it's to put a mirror up against yourself to say, I'm a sinner. That's what the law was. Uh, Romans 3.20 where it says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, but through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So that's what that is. The, the law incre shows you your sin. And so there, as we talked about earlier, where the people from Adam to Moses... They were not going to be held accountable to the law of Moses because they hadn't been given yet. But when that law came, they increased the knowledge to the people. What's the Mosaic law? What's the difference? Ten Commandments, primarily. Okay. The law gave to Mo given to Moses in um, Exodus. And there was further specific laws that were given to Israel, but I don't think that's what we're talking about. I think in general we're talking about the Ten Commandments. And I yeah, a lot of those. Those were ceremonial laws for Israel for a temporary time period. Where we're talking about here, I think, primarily is the ten, the, the moral law of God saying, "Hey, because the moral law is what exposes your sin." And so. Why did they just say that? Yeah, I know. Well. Why don't they do that? Another one of those. Why do they not make ketchup out of cantaloupes? It's true. It's true. You would. What? You would. So in, so in verse 20, I don't think this is talking about the, the, the transgressions actually increased in amount, it increased in knowledge. Yeah. They did it because they all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's a sin? Okay, yeah, I do that. So man's more aware. Yeah, I, oh, that's a sin? Oh, yeah, I do that too. And so you see how the knowledge increased. Now, I do think that the Bible teaches that when the law exposes a sinner to their sinfulness, it does actually flare up the desire to sin as well. It's the whole, well, I always like to say, the, if you want to tell somebody, if you want a sinner, okay, if you want a sinner, if you tell a sinner not to do something, what's the first thing they want to do? Well, they, 
if you the forbidden fruit kind of thing. Like yeah. you, you, you can't do this. If you send it to a sinner, what's the, the desire to want to do that will be like, oh, then that's what I think also. So the law increases the desire to sin. So, gotcha. so not only does it not make you more righteous, it probably makes you more sinful. But I think specifically it's talking about here about the knowledge of sin. Yes, and that doesn't make men more aware of their own sinfulness and inability to keep God's perfect standard. Yeah, and the reason I think that is because at the end, so so the um, because where where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And so when a person, when the knowledge of sin happens genuinely in the heart of a person, that's what causes repentance. When somebody gets exposed to their sinfulness by the law of God, they're like, oh man, yeah, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm guilty before God. That will cause genuine, by the Spirit of God, that will cause repentance, which leads to salvation. You know, the reason I think that's what this is going on here is because it says at the end there, well, grace abounded all the more. In verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, so you see there, I th this is the final summary of the analogy. Well, analogy? Analogy? Analogy. Analogy. I would be sixth grade would be able to pronounce that if a and my grandmother didn't. Hmm. Yeah, and again, I think when the law, when God sent the law, He sent it to expose your sin, not to say, "Hey, you're pretty good. Just keep these, and you'll be saved." No, it's, that's not, never the purpose of the law. So anybody trying to earn their salvation by works of the law, that's not the purpose of the law. Now, the, again, though, I, and we'll get to this. The law is holy. There, those are righteous things. Those are a, ref, a reflection of his character. And so we shouldn't take them lightly, as, especially as a Christian, now that when we know we've been forgiven. If you if you look at the law of God, we, a lot of people say, well, since you're saved, you're saved by grace, you don't have to worry about the law. No, I mean, we're still to obey, and any transgression is a serious thing, still, even as, as a Christian. But the purpose of the law was to put a mirror to people and say, have you kept this? No, you have not. You're a sinner. You need, you need um, salvation through Christ. And even before the law of Moses came along, people were dying and held accountable and sent to hell because their conscience and creation was enough to make them without excuse. So you see here in this... Was Moses the only author of the Ten Commandments? He's the one that God gave the Ten Commandments through angels to him on okay. tablets of stone. So yeah, I mean that's that's usually what's considered the law. But again, in a sense, the entire Bible is the law of God. Yeah. And every word is God breathed, and every and there's um, statutes throughout the Bible. But I think primarily when we're dealing with this, because especially when it talks about up in a when we talked about verse 14, nevertheless death reigned from Adam until Moses. That's that's why I think we're talking about the the law in specific, the Ten Commandments. So you see, uh, original sin, you know, teaches that we have through the one transgression again, verse eighteen. So then, as through one transgression, there resulted in condemnation to all people. So everybody was condemned by the one act, not all of Adam's sin, but by his first sin. We all fell in him. Again, the best we can do is to say, if there would have been anybody who'd have been put in the same situation, who would have not sinned, then God would have been unjust in imputing that guilt to everybody else. So if we'd have been there, we'd have done the same thing. And um, then there were choices. What? But then, and, but then yeah, then we're now we're centered by choice. Yeah. And in every transgression, we're gonna be held accountable for it. So it's not like we can blame Adam for all our sin. Yeah, but but the truth of the matter is we're born in a sin nature. Gotcha. And that's why we sin. I wasn't making light of it, I just said. No, I know, I try I'm the same way. You know, and I yeah, I remember when I first heard about original sin, I was like, wow, that is I'm blamed for his sin, and you know you have to deal with it. You have to, put, but the Bible, as you can see, you you can't say that the Bible doesn't teach that. And there's people who will say, "Oh, yeah, people aren't born in sin." Well, you know, I think the biggest proof that we're born in sin is the wages of sin is death, and babies die. And obviously, babies don't willfully sin when they're three days old, or you know, people who are, are babies who are aborted before they even get to birth, they. They die. That means they have a sin nature, but they're not. I don't. I've always been one to firmly believe 
that babies or any any conception that doesn't reach a, a condition where they can be held accountable of even being self-aware that they're automatically covered by the grace of God through the work of Christ, that Christ died for them too. Now, I don't know how that worked and everything because they didn't have any specific willful sins, but I believe somehow he he paid for their sin nature, and that they're all any baby that dies is immediately goes to heaven. Yeah. All right. There you go. You got you got to come up with three questions I for next week for our Q and A. So any questions on any questions on original sin? All right, well, thank you very much. And we will, uh, like I said, next week we will go to Q&A. And then after that we'll get back into Romans. And then for a couple more times, and then I got one, I'll got i have a scripture one in a month from now, which I think will be important to go into. It'll be like a history of the, the history of the Bible and the translations and, and te- dealing with textual variants and dealing with... Um, uh, how, I think it's really fascinating to, to learn how the Bible in, immediately, or why it's important the way it was transmitted, and and to keep and we'll go into all that. But that'll probably be a month from now. I got my first question. You got your first question for next week already. <laughs> I want to thank you for listening to this YouTube channel broadcast on this Bible lesson, and if you have been tuning in out of interest and you're not a Christian, I'd like to just present to you a short gospel presentation, is that essentially you're going to be either judged one of two ways, by according to your life's work before a holy God, or according to Christ's life work before a holy God. And unless your righteousness is perfect, you're going to fall short, and you will be condemned to hell forever, and there will be no second chances. So it's a serious matter. And I always want to be blunt and straightforward and give you the biblical truth of the situation in gentleness and love. And I just pray that you'll consider and look at your life and look at your heart and how you would stand before a holy God and come to the appropriate conclusion that you need to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. So until next time, I thank you for joining us. Bye-bye.